0: Amen. And, uh, <clears throat> next, uh, this coming Friday, life groups start, and uh, for the fall semester, and, uh, we'll run from October 1st through December 11th. Uh, there are three life groups that you can sign up for. I believe two of them are are mostly full, and. Um, Today we're going to be in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42, and we're going to talk about uh, the life of the body or body life. And really, uh, from Acts 242 is kind of where we took the um, we took Acts 242 and and modeled our life groups, kind of structured the life group format after Acts 2.42. But I want to look beyond just that verse and those four elements into Nine things, nine elements of body life that we find here in Acts chapter 2. And I gave you a message guide today. I've had a number of you tell me that you missed the message guides. and uh, So I did one. Um, Again, this will be the format and you'll use this as a point of discussion at your life groups. And that means if you're signed up for a life group, spend some time going over the scriptures and going over the concepts so that when you get to your life group on Friday night or on Monday night, when you get there, you can join in and participate in the discussion. You know, we purposefully set life groups up so that we don't have a teacher per se. We didn't want to put that burden on the people who were hosting or leading to have to come up with um, a lesson and actually teach. We didn't want it to be a teaching format. Uh, And one of the reasons that I do the message guide and the reason I developed that is because we wanted the body in general to go deeper and look deeper and discuss in a deeper way the things that we talk about, that we touch on for 45 minutes on a Sunday morning. And so um, that is kind of the intent behind that but it works best if there's interaction and so the the people that are leading the live groups don't want to have to just sit there and teach you we really want to have an interactive discussion because that's really how we learn I believe we learn best we learn more effectively that way if there's interaction Um, and And there's all kinds of reasons why people feel timid or intimidated or fearful or not confident. I understand all of that, but somewhere along the way uh, we've got to we've got to come out of that and it's and we've got to mature. Uh, you know children are a perfect example of this, and you can all remember uh, being a child once. I hope you can at least. and you can remember this process of growth through your life where there were things that were intimidating or fearful for you or you felt less confident about. But as you grew and as you matured and you, stu- you stepped out, you overcame those insecurities. You overcame those fears. Uh, and this is part of the process of growing up in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Spirit of God has been given to us that we would have boldness to be witnesses And so, in an environment where you're with like-minded people, you're with believers, and you're having a discussion uh, uh, concerning the Word of God and the Scriptures, I just want to encourage you to step out, to be thoughtful. You know, I am convinced of this. We live in a society today that has been conditioned not to think. We're not... We're not thinking, people, the way we should be. You say, "Well, how do you know that's true, Pastor Jeff?" Because I can just look around and see the things that are happening all around us. And, and, and can't you? Can't you look at? I mean, we could. I could name five things right now that you would probably know of, and you could. Uh, be, you would be aware of these. And we could say, you know what? If that person would have been thinking, if those persons would have been thinking. They wouldn't have done that, that wouldn't have happened, they wouldn't have fallen for that, you understand what I'm saying? But sometimes we, we just don't think, we take things at face value. Paul said the Bereans were more noble because they checked him out. I mean, they searched the scriptures to make sure that what Paul was teaching them was truly from the scripture. We got a bunch of people today that call themselves Christians that sit in church week in and week out and they just take hook, line, and sinker what people are telling them and they never check it out with the scriptures. Hence, we see horrendous, horrible things happening in the body of Christ that should not be happening because people aren't thinking, because people aren't checking out the man of God to see whether he really is a prophet, whether he really is, you know, I mean, there's just some things that the only way you could participate in, fall prey to, is you just turn a blind eye to what this word says. And I'm telling you, church, don't do that. Don't do that. So when we come together, be thinking people. Get in the scripture. Think about just even on a a surface level, the things that I talk to you about on Sunday mornings. Think about those things. Let those things challenge you. Let the Scripture challenge you and come together prepared to to interact and to talk and to discuss and to learn. Amen? Well, that's my extended um, advertisement for life groups, um, or at least part of it. But uh, now, really and truly, so let's begin here and let's uh, look in Acts 242. And just read with me. I'm going to read from verse 42 to the end of the chapter. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all as anyone had need." So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity or singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So as I, as I read these verses of Scripture, I just... I noticed nine things that I highlighted in in these verses that I want to touch on today. And I gave you uh, the front page of your message guide has nine blanks there. We're going to fill those in right now. And then we're going to talk uh, in a little more depth about at least the first five of these. That's all that I've done on the inside of your message guide because I don't think we'll have time to do all of them today. But let's look at this these nine elements of body life in the Acts two church. Number one, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. That word doctrine means instruction. So you actually have three blanks there: instruction, doctrine, and maturity. Doctrine has become a dirty word in the in the in the body of Christ, especially, I'm just, I'm just shooting straight with you guys, you know, I, most of the people I hang around with, most of what I grew up in was the, the charismatic, the Pentecostal charismatic church, and, um, and, and I can't tell you how often I heard doctrine belittled, as if doctrine was a bad thing. The word doctrine simply means instruction, it's what it means, it means instruction, They continued in the apostles' instruction in their doctrine. And what is the point of being instructed? Why do you instruct your children? That we will come to a place of maturity. Amen? So they learned together. And there was a growing of maturity that took place. Number two is fellowship. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. Fellowship is our shared life together. This is the word koinonia. It's a Greek word. It's a word that that speaks of love. It speaks of of companionship, of fellowship, of relationship. So they shared their life together. And out of this fellowship, this continuing steadfast fellowship, there was a growing relationship that took place. Brother Richard said today, we're not here, you're not here for me or for Frankie or for him, and that's true in the sense that our first reason for coming here should be the Lord, and none of us would be here but for the Lord, but we can't absolutely say that we're not here for one another because we are here for one another, because we are a body. Aren't you glad that your hand is still in relationship to your arm? Are you glad that your leg is still in relationship to your hip? Yes. I'm glad my fingers are still in relationship to my hand. We are linked. We are connected that absolutely as the body of Christ. I know we don't think of it that way because we have this mystical body of Christ. we we seem so disconnected because we're all individuals. But in Christ, in, in the Father's view, in the way the Father relates to us, we are just as connected as all the parts of our body are connected to one another. We are in Him. He is in us. We're in Christ. Christ is in the Father. That means, guess where we are? We're in the Father also. And so, relationship, fellowship, our fellowship with one another is our sharing of life together and it builds it builds relationship there should be a growing relationship and we saw this element in the acts 2 church in the breaking of bread now you guys know i love to break bread and i think this breaking of bread has a twofold meaning here it 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 is sharing meals together absolutely they shared Meals together, literally, they, they ate together. You know, we've kind of lost this in our culture, in our Western culture. In the East, in Eastern cultures, for someone to take you into their home and break bread with you was very, very significant. We can't really grasp this and understand this because we're so um, conditioned to our culture. And, and over the last few decades... Uh, we've, we've become even more desensitized to this because we've all retreated into our insulated and sealed homes that are airtight, hermetically sealed. They're soundproof, they're vaporproof, they're windproof, and we have everything we could possibly imagine to watch on hundreds of channels of cable and satellite television. And we can just retreat into our world and... and and never have interaction. We, we can buy everything we want to wear. And everything we want to hang on our walls. And even everything we want to drive. We can buy it online. We don't even have to go to the store. Like we used to. I mean, do you see what's happened to our culture? And so, in, in this culture, to break bread together was a very significant thing. It was a very significant thing. And so... This breaking of bread caused a growing of communion between the members of the body. And it also was significant in the breaking of bread when they came to the Lord's table, when they did what we did this morning, when they took the bread and the cup and proclaimed the body of Christ and the blood of Christ. And so in the early church, the the communion table wasn't, Anything like this. And they didn't have communion wafers and little plastic cups of grape juice. The table was a real table. It was a real feast. They had a love feast. That's what they called them. And they would literally sit down and they would have a meal together. They would would sup together. And, And during the course of that meal, in the course of that, they would proclaim the body of Christ and the blood of Christ and they would remember the death of Jesus and proclaim that death and remember his body and remember his blood and make proclamation of that. And so the breaking of bread was very significant. It was a significant part of of, of life in the body in the early church. And it really hasn't changed today. It should not Change just because we live in the 21st century and we've been conditioned to think and to live differently. There is still great significance here. And so one of the reasons, um, these first four, by the way, the next is prayer. These first four are the four elements um, that that we built the life group ministry around. There's four elements that we want every life group to have. We want them to have uh, fellowship together. We want them to have breaking bread together. We want them to have instruction or learning together. We want them to learn together and we want them to pray together. And so we want each life group to have these elements as part of it. Why? Because this is what we see in the fellowship of the body of Christ in the early church. And so this breaking of bread, this sharing of meals together and growing in communion together says they continued in that steadfastly and in prayers, and there you have two blanks: prayer slash intercession. They shared prayer together. And if you know if you uh, we'll look at this in a little more in depth, but if you, you look at prayer in the New Testament, prayer in the New Testament, uh, we see prayer everywhere from there were formal prayers that were said in the synagogue or the temple to where James says, man, pray one for another. Confess your faults to one another, that you might be healed. Pray for one another. Man, we, we don't like that today because we don't live in a transparent society. We live in a society where everybody walks around with their facade up. Everybody has their game face on. You know, when I go out in public, I put my game face on. When I get to church, I put my church face on. whatever. And there has to come a place in our lives where there is a transparency, a realness. And when we pray together, when we confess our faults to one another, the transparency is removed. The realness is there. And you go beyond this surface stuff down to where life really is. is. This is how we are this is why the scripture calls us a family. You know, families deal with things that you don't deal with in other venues, in other ways. But because we're family, you know, we deal with things as a family. Well, we're the family of God, and so we're to deal with real things that are happening, that are going on in our life. And if there's not a level of trust there, if there's not a level of security there, and, and, and the only reason there wouldn't be is because we have not given place to all of these elements. If you if you don't feel like you can bear your heart to someone because they're going to go get on the phone and call sister or brother so and so and tell them all about it, then there's not a level of trust there that that that, that can take place. And, and who can blame? Who could blame you? And so, understanding if we're family. We're there for one another, for the healing of one another, for the restoration of one another, not not to gossip, not to point fingers. And so as we look at these nine elements and understand that all of these must be in place, we can't just have some of them in place. They've got to all be in place for this to work right. Or I could say it like this, for the body to function correctly. So prayer, intercession was a very important part. They shared... Their prayers together, and there was a growing intercession in the body of Christ. Number five is this, fear. We don't like this word. But look what the scripture says, verse 43, Then fear, that continued in the instruction, fellowship, breaking of bread, and in prayers, Then fear came upon every soul. And the, the, the second blank there is wisdom. Why? Because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. They feared the Lord together and there was a growing wisdom. Number six, commonality. Look what it says. It says, Then the fear of the Lord came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common. There was a Commonality there in the body. Another word we can use is community. They lived, they were a community. They had all things in common, the scripture says. Now, that doesn't mean they all wore the same clothes and they all drove the same cars and they all painted their houses the same color. It's not what it means. There was great diversity, but yet in the midst of that diversity, there was community. There was a commonality of all of these things that we're talking about. There was a commonality of instruction. They were all learning the same thing. They were all growing in the same knowledge, the knowledge of Christ. Their fellowship was centered around one thing, one person, that's Christ. So they had these elements that brought commonality and caused there to be a growing community community they shared all things together and there was a growing community among the believers that says this so continuing daily with one accord in the temple this word accord in the greek is an interesting word it means a it means like a a rushing breath a passionate breathing your vocal cords. You the reason I can talk and make sounds is because I have a vocal, I have vocal cords and the air rushing over my vocal cords creates the sound that you're hearing in, in the, the movement of the muscles and the vocal cords and the inflection enable you to me to speak and you to understand. But what makes this talking possible is this Rushing of air, of breath. They were in one accord. There was unity. They were, what does that mean? They were one voice. They were one voice together. And yes, in Christ. They were one voice together and there was a growing voice that was heard. It was one voice. Why? Because they had commonality. They were in community because they were in unity. They were in one accord. They were all breathing the same thing. They were all voicing the same thing. This is the unity. It's interesting To think about this, in the book of Genesis, shortly after the flood, when man began to spread out upon the earth, there was a man named Nimrod. He wasn't a good man. He established a city on the plain of Shinar called Babel. It's called Babel now. And they purposed to build a great tower up into the heavens, And the Jewish historian Josephus tells us that their their reasoning was that they were going to build this tower and ascend to the heavens and not only would they not be destroyed by a flood ever again, but they were going to ascend into the heavens and they were going to defeat God so that God could not destroy the earth again. This is the futility of man. So what did God do? God says, hey, you know what? Uh, these, these human beings I created, they're, they're pretty talented. They put their mind together, come in agreement together. They can do just about anything they, they put their mind to. So what did God do? God came down and he confused their language. And they no longer spoke with one voice, but their tongues and their languages were divided. It's interesting that on the day of Pentecost, that was reversed. And God sent his spirit, and he caused now man to have one voice. We speak with one voice. It is the voice of the Lord, it is the voice of God. It is the words of God that we should be speaking and breathing. You see, God has brought us back to a community, a unity. And this word, one accord, speaks of our breath. So we speak in unity. What does that mean? We speak with one voice. I speak in agreement with you. Well, what are we going to agree on? We can agree on Christ. We don't have to agree that green is the best color. Green's my favorite color. Purple might be yours or red might be yours. That's okay. You can have purple or red or orange or yellow or whatever you want. We don't have, but, but there are some things... God gave us all the colors, so they're all good, right? God loves all of them. But there are some things that we are to be one voice concerning. Concerning Christ, we should be one voice. Concerning the body, we should be one voice. Concerning the building up of the body, we should be one voice. Not competing voices. Or not voices that are tearing down one another. Dividing one another. So unity means we speak with one voice. And as the church in Jerusalem there grew, their voice grew. Amen. Amen. The next says, it says, says so, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. You notice they didn't they, they went from the temple, they went from house to house. They were all throughout the city. They were in the marketplace. They were in homes, in the temple. They were were all over at their jobs. Wherever they were, this this was their attitude. These were the elements that defined who they were. And it says in verse 47, praising God. We see one of the elements of the Acts 2 church was praise. Praise. Now, that didn't mean they all broke out their Martin guitars and their Roland X-8s and and set up there in the market square and jammed for Jesus. That's not what that means. We can praise that way, but if praise is not more than that for you, then we don't understand what praise is. His praise, the psalm says, should continually be in our mouth. Matter of fact, on the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit of God was poured out and that 120 came out of the upper room, what the Scripture says they were declaring was the wonderful works of God. They were praising Him and declaring the wonderful works of God. That's what those men of different ethnic backgrounds speaking different languages all heard. They heard the praise of God being declared as one voice. So they praised together And from their praise, there was a growing expression that was seen, that was heard, that was known. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Who added? The Lord added. When did he add? He added as all of these elements were in place. They grew together in every sense of the word. See, it doesn't do any good if we just grow numerically, but there is no transformation that takes place in people's hearts and minds. That's what we've done as a church. I speak in general in America. That's what we've concentrated on in America, is how to get more numbers of people coming to the church building on Sunday. We've pulled out all the stops. We've done everything we know to do. And in a lot of places, it's working. But the question is, is there true transformation taking place in the lives of people? And when the scripture talks about adding to the church, I promise you Jesus was not just interested in adding numbers to his church. He wants lives that are transformed. And when he adds to, there is a transformation that takes place. When we add to, there's not necessarily a transformation that takes place. You understand what I'm saying? So, growth and transformation, when when it says he added to the church daily, what we're looking for, what we're praying for, what what we're believing for is a growing transformation Personally, corporately, and that growing transformation will then touch our families. That growing transformation will touch our neighborhood. It will touch our city. It will touch our county. It will touch our state. It will touch our nation. It will touch the world. That's what we want transformation to do. But it can't do that. We can't change the world until what? Until we're changed. We can't save the world until we're saved. Amen? So let's go back. Let's go to to number one. Instruction. Learning together. There being a growing maturity. We should learn from and with one another in Christ-centered interaction. Interaction. What is the point? We turn our hearts toward Christ for a growing revelation of Him and a growing maturity in Him. Listen, if I'm not looking to Christ, I'm never going to get a revelation of Christ. Paul says, as we behold in the mirror being transformed into the same image. If I'm not looking into His face, I'm not being transformed into His image. So whatever you're looking to, that's what you're being transformed to. If you're caught up with the world and looking to the world and hung up on the world, that's what your life is going to be transformed to. You can play the game and put on the costume and put on the mask and wear the facade and talk the language, do all that. And you might fool a whole lot of people, but I'm going to tell you what, you won't fool God. And your life, eventually, your life is going to betray you. And so we've got to come to a place of turning our hearts toward Christ and in turning our hearts to Him and beholding Him as in a mirror, we shall be transformed into the very same image. And that instruction should lead to that conformity and that maturity in Him. And this instruction brings about a renewal of our mind and that renewal of our mind causes this conforming in this maturity to take place. Out of instruction, there should be encouragement. It's to encourage, to edify, or to build up, to equip. I'm here to equip you, the scripture says. For what? For the work of ministry. What is the work of ministry? We can boil it all down to this. Ultimately, it is seeing people come into the kingdom of God. It is preaching the gospel of Christ... And, and, and seeing the power of the gospel transform hearts and minds. But if there is no preaching, if there is no declaration of the gospel through our lives, through our words, through our actions, then, then there is not going to be a way for that gospel to be received. We are the vessels God has chosen to make his gospel known. He doesn't send angels flying around in the heavens with big loudspeakers preaching the gospel, he has put vessels of clay on the earth and he has put his spirit in these vessels of clay and he has commanded us to go out and to declare his gospel. Amen? Amen? That's what evangelism is. Your life should be all about evangelism. That doesn't mean you've got to take two hours every day and go knock on doors. That's fine. Ron does this on a regular basis and praise God for it. But your evangelism might be at your workplace. It might be at your home with your family, with your children. You know, parents, don't 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 forget your kids. The greatest ministry you have is your children. Don't go trying to save the world until you've seen your children saved. Don't try try to save everybody else until you've seen your own families. And and so your ministry begins right there at home where you live, but it goes out from there. Amen? Amen? We go to the store, we go to the gas station. We join clubs and groups and fellowship with people and work with people. Man, evangelize everywhere you go. Let Christ be expressed through you. And just another thing on this thing of, of, you know, I have a key down here. It says, be ready to learn and grow, to impart and take part. Be a participator, not just a spectator. We learn through interaction and dialogue. That's really put in there for the sake of life groups. This really... um, was a key to encourage people when you go to life groups or when you go to Bible study on Sunday morning or uh, if you come to the Bible study on Thursday morning, come ready to participate, to interact, because that's how you grow. Think. Thinking is not a bad thing. God gave you an intellect to use it. It's not mutually exclusive. You can't have... In, you, intellect is not mutually exclusive to faith. You can have faith and intellect. You should. You You better. And so use your mind and think and grow in the knowledge of Christ. Amen? Amen. Number two is fellowship. Sharing life, growing relationships. We should strive to develop relationships that image true biblical community. To turn our hearts toward others in growing relationships in the Lord. To develop and deepen common bonds, common goals, common vision. And common purpose. What is the common bond that we all have? Who is he? He's Christ. I mean, look at us. We're all different people. We come from various backgrounds, whether that be uh, uh, geographically, uh, ethnically, socially. Our genders are different. We wear different clothes. We like different foods. We like different music. We drive different cars. We have different favorite colors. I mean, we don't have to be the same, but there is a common bond that we all have. And He is Jesus Christ. And in the midst of the beautiful and wonderful diversity that exists in the body of Christ, there is a common bond. His name is Christ. There is a common goal. He is Jesus. There is a common vision. It's Christ. A common purpose. It is Christ. Amen. Ephraim's giving me a good amen there. Fellowship should, fill, should facilitate deeper life and greater unity. Even our fellowship here, or the, the 30 minutes or 45 minutes before service when you're over there eating donuts and bagels, and or you come for the Sunday morning Bible study, or whatever it is, you avail yourself to those opportunities to be in fellowship with one another. You say, well, I can't go to a life group because I've got... You know, uh, my kids are in sports, and well, then come early to church and fellowship next door. Or come on Wednesday night and, and, and go to Acts, adult chill time session, and fellowship with those believers. Or come and fellowship with some, some youth. But, but be in fellowship together with one another because it builds unity, it builds deeper life, it brings a unity in the function of the body, just like instruction brings a unity to the focus of the body. So you need to see relationships as investments in your life, investments in others, and investments in the kingdom. Amen? Amen. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together, as is the manner of some. Number three, breaking bread. We talked about this already. Sharing meals, growing in communion. All of those things. I'm not going to go into depth there. It does all of that. It enhances interaction, deepens relationships. It's fun. At least it is for me. It, it's to unify the interaction of the body. We can all sit down together around a meal. It brings a unity. It brings a unified interaction together. Break bread with somebody. Invite your neighbor over that doesn't know Christ and break bread with them and fellowship with them and and, and share the love of Christ with them. Number four, prayer. Praying together. There's a growing intercession as we pray together. Prayer brings people into one accord and surrender to the will of God. Listen. You may think your prayer is to change God's mind, but prayer is to change your mind. Prayer is not to conform God's will to your will. Prayer is to conform your will to God's will. To turn our hearts toward God and commune with Him. To turn our hearts toward one another. To intercede for those in the faith and those outside the faith. To acknowledge our weakness in the face of His power. To unify the intercession of the body. Don't let prayer be centered on your will. Let it be centered on His will. Amen? And the last one, and I'll, I'll, we'll stop with this. The last and probably the most misunderstood is fear. Verse 47 says, I mean, verse 40, I'm sorry. It says in verse 43, then fear came upon every Soul, fear. Now, fear is a word we don't like. We're all trying to escape fear. We're all trying to get over our fear. Uh, as a child, I had, uh, I had a lot of fear. I was afraid to let my arm hang out from under my covers at night because I was convinced something evil lived under my bed and it was going to pull me under there if I left my arm out from under the covers. I was convinced there was something evil living in the closet that I had to walk by. You know, and then as I got older and I had to go feed my dog Snoopy out in the back corner of my backyard, I was convinced there was something evil living in the playhouse. But you know what? I, I had to get beyond that. And, and I had to grow up and become mature and say, you know what? That That's that's a vain imagination. That is nothing more than, I wasn't afraid to play in my backyard during the daytime. I wasn't afraid to go anywhere in the daytime. But somehow at night, everything became evil and everything is fearful. That, that's, this is not the kind of fear I'm talking about. Fear is... Grossly misunderstood. God doesn't want us to fear Him in that sense. But God does, and we must learn to fear Him. Fearing the Lord. They feared the Lord. And look what happened when the fear of the Lord came upon every soul. It says, many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, Proverbs 9.10 says. So where there is... Where there is no fear of the Lord, guess what? If the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, what does it mean if there is no fear? (laughs) There is no wisdom. Where there is no fear of the Lord, there is no wisdom. Where there is no wisdom, there is no application of truth. Proverbs 2, 6 says, For the Lord gives wisdom from His mouth come knowledge and understanding. Listen, wisdom is not just knowing what's right or knowing the truth. Wisdom is, if I know it's right and I know it's true... Wisdom is applying it. There's got to be some knowledge and some understanding there that causes me to apply the truth where there is no application of truth. Guess what there is? There's bondage. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Apart from the truth, we're not free. So the power of the gospel is the power of God to release people from any and all things that keep them in bondage. See, the power of God's not just... Do you know there's a reason why when Moses... Remember Moses came down from the mountain and he was going to deliver the children of Israel and he took the staff that God gave him and he goes to Pharaoh and he starts doing all these tricks. I mean, the staff turns into a snake. Do you remember, though, what happened to the... Pharaoh had his own magicians there and you know what they did? They do the same thing. Listen, don't tell me that the enemy doesn't have power. He's got power. And don't confuse the power of God, what we're talking about here, just with the ability to manifest something in the physical. The power of the gospel is the power to release us from bondage. And and I'm talking a bondage that goes to the very depths of our soul and our spirit. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Where there is no wisdom, there there is no power. You know why I believe there are more miracles take place in the third world? People say, well, it's because they have childlike faith. I don't really think that's necessarily it. I think a lot of places you see those miracles take place, there is no... It's just like this. There is no proliferation of the Word of God. Some of those places are absolutely starved. There is no Word. You're carrying the Word of God in there for the very first time. They've never seen the Bible. They don't know what Psalm 119 says about God's Word. They haven't memorized, you know, the 23rd Psalm. These people don't know. And so they're going in, and God is manifesting His power in a tangible, miraculous way. Now, we come to America where most houses have multiple Bibles on their bookshelves. You have millions upon millions of people going to church every week. Christian television and radio is soaking the airwaves. We wonder why there's no miracles taking place. You know why? Because there's no fear of the Lord. We're not lacking the truth. We're lacking the application of the truth. It's not that we don't know the truth. I can just speak right here for those who confess to be the church in America. Let's just take the the tens of millions that confess to be the church. We're all lamenting because this isn't happening or that isn't happening, but the bottom and the root problem is this. There is no application of the truth. You know why? Because there is no fear of the Lord. Hence, there is no wisdom. Because if we were wise, we would, we, would, we would begin to understand who God is. God is not just the person I call when I'm in trouble. And when my troubles are over, then I don't need him anymore. No, that's not who God, that's not the fear of the Lord. That's not an understanding. That's not a wisdom and a knowledge and an understanding of who God is. And the church has got to get back to a wisdom and a knowledge and an understanding of who God is. Go to, go to Luke 16, 31. Y'all remember this story? Jesus can just say it better than I can. So we'll just let Jesus say it, and we'll end on this. Let me challenge you. Instead of praying for more miracles to be manifest in the church, change your prayer. Begin to pray that the fear of the Lord would return to the church. Stop praying for miracles. Stop praying for manifestations. Stop it because most of those prayers, now I'm getting ugly and mean again. I wasn't going to do that today. I'm so sorry. But I'm just going to be honest with you. Most of those prayers are not for God's benefit. They're for our own benefit. They're selfish prayers. We put a spiritual twist on it. Sounds good, looks good, but it's really selfish. Start praying for the fear of the Lord to return to the church. When the fear of the Lord returns to the church, you'll be asking him to stop. Because we won't be able to handle what it is he would do. I'm serious. Make that your prayer. Begin to pray that the fear of the Lord would return to the church. Luke chapter 16 Let's look at, uh, this is the story of Lazarus. You all know the beggar, the beggar was there and Lazarus, the rich man, had all the food, had everything, he wouldn't give the beggar anything and they both died. And Lazarus goes to Abraham's bosom and the beggar, I mean the, the rich man, uh, goes to Gehenna. He's in the flames and he's there in the flames and he says, oh, just let me have one drop of water on my tongue, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm in such torment Let's pick the story up in verse 27. can't, I can't help you. There's this great gulf between us. Verse 27, then he said, I beg you therefore, Father, he's talking to Abraham, Father Abraham, that you would send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers that he may testify to them lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. Well, if God would just do that miracle I've been believing for, then I would serve him forever. If God would just answer this one prayer, then, then, then... But he said to them, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, you know who Moses and the prophets are? That's the scripture. If they're not going to hear the scripture, look at this, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. You know, who was, you know who said those words? Jesus did. You know who Jesus was speaking of in that parable? Himself. Jesus rose from the dead, and they still didn't believe. You know why? Because there was no fear of the Lord. But the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the proverb says, The Lord gives wisdom, and from His mouth come knowledge and understanding. Begin to pray that the fear of the Lord would return to the church. So that men would in earnest turn their hearts to the Lord and be saved and be transformed. And we would see a church that is glorious. That is the image of the Son. That is walking in His love. Walking in His power. Walking in His nature and His character. That's what the world needs. That's what we're here for, church. That's what we're here for. But we will not become that until we purpose that. And that becomes our prayer. And that becomes our desire. And that becomes our quest. Amen? Amen. Let's all stand. Then we won't have scandal after scandal breaking on the national scene and the church being brought to disgrace once again. Those things won't keep happening, but I'm going to tell you what, God will let those things keep happening because he's going to let the sin and the facade and the foolishness and the games and all that nonsense that we've come to embrace and call God, and it's the farthest thing from God you could ever imagine, he's going to let it all be exposed, he's going to let it all hang out until we change our prayers and we begin to cry out again that the fear of the Lord would return to the church. Father, Lord, I just simply ask you, Lord, to move on our hearts, each of our hearts, especially mine. Move on our hearts. Transform us and change us by the power of your gospel. Deliver us from the foolishness and the nonsense that we so willingly embrace and chase after in the name of God. Deliver us from that, Lord. Change our prayer and change our hearts and our desires from self-centered, selfish prayers. And Lord, let our cry be, Lord, let the fear of the Lord return to your church. That you would be glorified. Lord, when that happens... Lord, it will be just exactly what Jesus said. When we begin to seek the kingdom and its righteousness, then all these other things will be added. Not because we sought those other things, not because we desired those other things, but because we desired you. We desired your righteousness. We desired your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth, even as it is in heaven. And So we thank you and we pray. That is our prayer today, Father. Be glorified in it, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. God bless you. If you're here and you need prayer, want prayer for anything, come and let us agree together. Amen. You need prayer? What's the matter? Let me turn this off.